Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting in Carrollton Station with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times, and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on? Oh, not too much. You know, uh, getting a little bit busy this week. Uh, put my son on an airplane to Ireland. He's over there in uh -oh. Galway. So uh, it's, uh, it's just me and my wife at the house. Um, so... Uh, so you're empty nesters? We are empty See, nesters I, never, again. I don't know what that means. Yeah, well... It doesn't make sense to me, empty nesters. You're still in the nest, so it's not empty. Right, right. But, you know, I guess the, the whole point of making the nest is that you, you have eggs in there that you're hatching, and, and then you have the, the young ones, the, 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 the chicks in the, in the nest. Um, but the nest is your home. Sure. So it's not empty. No, no, it's not. You're it's, in the nest. It's more empty than it used to be, though. Okay, I, I don't get it. I never, I never really got what that means. Well, when you, there's someone in the nest, so it's not empty. Sure, but the but the children are gone. But so, but Manny, you're that's you're, a great thing, isn't well, it, to have the children gone? Well, it's it's uh, it it takes some getting used to. It, it's an it's an it requires an adjustment because you get used to them being there. You know, it's uh, you know you like your you like your daughter. You know, you're you're not very far away from uh, from her uh, leaving the nest. In my mind, she's already gone. She's already gone. <laughs> and I think in her mind, she's already gone, too. I, I was going to say that. Well, you, were, yeah. you were talking about all the jobs she's working. Um, yeah, she's like, got two jobs. She's saving up for a car. and uh, She's going to make her escape. She's going to get out. <laughs> get out. Right, know? right. Well, you, and it'll you, just be me and my wife like George and Martha from He Was Afraid of Virginia Roof. Okay. You know, we'll just be like that. <laughs> you know, just George and Martha inviting people over to berate them. Okay, and you're uh, first on my list too. Right, right okay. on. Well, I like that kind of. You know, that's. I, I often refer to that that movie because, um, you know, I, I like those kind of dinner parties that devolve into uh, mayhem like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of... Well, lot there'll of, be no dinner. A lot of alcohol. We'll never get to dinner. Right, right. A lot of alcohol. They'll and, be invited uh, to dinner, but they'll never get to dinner. Okay. Well, but there'll be a lot of booze. Yes. And the main thing is, uh, George and Martha is just that me and my wife just hope to sleep with the people that come over. <laughs> so we're inviting know. neighbors, young neighbors that are moving into the hood. Do you have uh, a lot of young people moving into the neighborhood? I have no idea. I don't see okay. them. <laughs> I, do, I know there's cars in my street. Right, right, right. But uh, I have the, uh, my neighbor to the left and the right who I know. Other than that, I really don't know anybody. Because there there's been some turnover in your neighborhood. I know you had an elderly gentleman that lived there for years. He was kind of the captain of the block. The yeah, Mr. Brown. He right. died he a couple died, years ago. And you kind of took over that. Uh, uh, you were going nah, to. Maybe I was you, going you to, but I'm not home enough. Okay. You know, I work for a living, so I sure. have to leave the house where Mr. Brown doesn't, didn't work. Yeah. And, and the new guy is a uh, neighbor to the left. He doesn't work, so he just sits at home all day. And so. he's, he's become the new Mr. Brown. Okay. I don't want to say his name. Sure, sure, sure. Give him too much credit. But his name is Chris. All right. Okay. Okay. But uh, he's becoming, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. So okay. anyway, what else is going on? I uh, played a gig at uh, Broadside last night, Broadside uh, Theater there. Oh, uh, yeah? How was that? Uh, it was great. It was great with the iguanas, yes. Uh, it's uh, still a, a mild night. Well, it's been raining all week long, you yeah. know, every single day. And, and fortunately, the rain stopped, but it was still cool last night. But today, going out in the morning, it felt very, very hot. Uh, yeah. It felt like... 
Well, I don't you understand know. that broadside because I drive by there twice a day to mm-hmm. and from work. Uh-huh. And it just seems so easy that you could just sit on the other side of the fence and listen to the music for free. Well, you could. You, you could. Know? But, you know, it's a, it generally attracts a crowd of people that, uh, you know, they're, they're not cheapskates. You know, they, they want to go inside, have a cocktail, be able to see the band and, you know, participate. It's, it's uh, has more of a, you know, a, a well-heeled crowd, I would say, generally. All right. Well, I'm never going to that place. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's a good place to see a band. It, it sounds really good there, and uh, and now it's 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 warm for the summer. But you know, it'll that that will pass. So uh, we had Fourth of July this this past weekend. Yeah. And uh, did you go out and see any fireworks? No. <laughs> no. 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 I, I actually did. I actually went down to uh, the riverfront there by the the governor because Nick. Will Smith saved Fourth of July in New Orleans. He did. Yes. They they had yeah, they had yeah. canceled the uh, the they couldn't afford it fireworks. She said yes. The mayor said they they're the too busy arguing about names of streets and, and re- monuments. They're renaming the streets now. Speaking of monuments, monuments. Did you see this new uh, POV? Uh, movie, you know, it's like a, a public television series POV. Uh-uh. A, a new one that came out called Neutral Ground. Uh-huh. That it's fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. It, uh, you know, I'm from New Orleans, and you know, but but it was a, a tremendous uh, historical document. Goes back uh, the the origins of the Lost Cause myth about uh, you know the the uh, Aftermath of the Civil War, and you why know, don't they just let people park on the neutral ground all the time? Why um, do they always say, "Oh, you can you can you can park on it because it's raining"? You oh, can, it's, now you have to leave your car. You have to move your car. Why don't they just let it twenty four seven? No, park it's, on? it's it's a menace because number one, it, it it clouds up that. I mean, that's public space. It's supposed to be green space. Number two, it's it's uh, it's dangerous because it's hard to see around those cars when you're when you're crossing. The neutral ground, people have their cars on there. It's hard to see if, an, if a car is coming or not. So I've it really had blocks problem. sight lines. No, I've, I've run into it. Cause really? So, yeah, yeah. Sometimes people park on, they'll, they'll let them park on Carrollton Avenue, and it's, it's, it's quite dangerous. Really? Yeah, it looks terrible, too, you know. I mean, the only green space I ever see that being used for is dog shitting. Well, no, I mean, you, 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 you see the, the open sight lines, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, I don't I mean, know. You know, it, you know just seems like, it just seems like ridiculous. Like, oh, the storm's coming. You can park on the neutral ground. Oh, it's over. Now you got to leave. And you better yeah. leave or we're going to give you a ticket. Yeah. I'm going to tow your car. Yep. You know, make up your mind. Just don't let them park on there or let them park on there. Yeah, I guess it's uh, high ground. I mean, the only cars I ever see parked on the neutral ground are these huge trucks that are like four feet off the ground to begin with. What are they worried about getting flooded? I know, I know. You know? know? Makes no sense to me. Right, right. So anyway, this neutral ground movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it's, uh, it's on... What does this have to do with Will Smith? Oh uh, well, uh, what were we talking about? Uh, well, you mentioned monuments, so it's a, oh. a lot. This movie is a lot about the the fight to uh, take down the Confederate monuments, and uh, it's. It, I don't want to tell the whole story here, but everybody check that out. It's. Uh, it's yeah, I just you know I just don't I don't get it. There, there, our our city hall is arguing over naming streets when they should be worried about trash being picked up. People don't, haven't had their... My boss hasn't had his trash picked up in over two weeks. Well, you know, just this week, they didn't pick up my trash. That's the first I've, I've, I'm aware of that, but I guess that's an ongoing thing. Uh, well, it's apparently a big thing in Gentilly in the East. I didn't hear about it in here, in, in our area. Are they picking my, up trash yeah, at your house? Yeah, they pick it up all the time. Okay. I just don't have that much trash. Right. You know, but they're renovating that house where Mr. Brown used to live and there's a big dumpster there 
So I've been throwing a lot of stuff in that dumpster. Okay. You know? So, uh, but yeah, they pick up Monday and Thursday. Recycling. Recy- I've given up on recycling. Yeah. I, I don't even bother with it anymore. Well, you know, I saw a, a program on about recycling. Yeah, it's the biggest scam it's, ever. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, quite ineffective it's, it's the, the way we're doing it. It's the biggest scam, you know, by DuPont since the Dewey Decimal System. It's, <laughs> it's a huge scam. Yeah, you know. I think a very small amount of the stuff that you put in there actually gets yeah, recycled. it just and, all ends up in the landfill. Yeah. Because I've I had these arguments with my family, and I like saying, well, you can't recycle that. You can recycle that. It's like the number one or four or six. New right. Orleans doesn't do that. Louisiana doesn't do that. We don't do glass. Right. And that's what I have the most is glass bottles. Right. So, you know, I go through them, you know, uh, you know every other day. But so I just bought, I just throw it all in the trash. I can't bother with it. They yeah, I think it's going to wind up there anyway. Yeah, really. it's going to wind up anywhere, any there, you know. So who cares? Right. You know, recycling scam people. <laughs> Don't do it. Fill the landfills up. Kill the earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I saw Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, passed away yeah you know, former. so so our our former guest uh malcolm Byrne. i saw a little post he made and it was a picture of donald rumsfeld and he said here's an unknown unknown for you uh if there's a hell this guy's going to it <laughs> well good malcolm who was malcolm who was he he's a record producer oh right right yeah. right 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 uh, well, you know, our, our, another former guest of ours, my brother-in-law, Gerald Herbert, mm-hmm. was, followed, was, was a White House photographer during that administration oh, right. with Bush, mm-hmm. with W. And he'd get to fly on Air Force One. He said, I know Rumsfeld was, was a really jerk of a guy, a real asshole, but he said he was one of the funniest guys you ever want to be around. He had a really amazing sense of humor. He used to pull pranks on people yeah. constantly and stuff like that. He said he was a lot of fun to, to follow around. Yeah, I could see, you know, he, you know? he might, might be fun to hang around in, in a bar with or something, you know. He's just, uh, that's, that's kind of one of the things that, that irked people is, you know, he uh, you know, had all these horrible policies and then he had kind of a, a smirk about it, too, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, some people spread joy everywhere they go and some spread joy when they leave. You know? <laughs> so I think, that's, sure. I think that was pretty much him. Right so, on, right on. Anyway, anyway, you want to get to our guest? Because um, unless you got more to talk about, because I don't have anything else. Because I've had a busy week myself, and I'm very tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 uh, you do have a busy week. Um, I mean, you, you have a, a busy life. Well, uh, another bit of, of local news is our former ge- governor Edwin Edwards is yeah, in he's, hospice. He's dead. He's dying. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's he near says the he's end. not dying. Yeah. But well, he's, God, he's got to be in his 90s. I mean, he's... Uh, he's 93. 93. Holy moly. Well, his wife, his trophy wife, blonde trophy wife, I think forced him in there because I saw an interview with her, or heard an interview with her. She's saying, he's not going anywhere. We just, he needs to, he needs to ultra 100% care, but he's not going anywhere. He's fine. I just think she was tired of looking at him at home and said, go to the hospice place. You know, I'm out of here. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Jeez. I mean, she, isn't she like 40 years younger than him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's, she's probably banging a, another guy. Quite a bit. She's uh, banging yeah, other maybe, people. Maybe, maybe, You know, I mean, wouldn't you? If you, had a ni- if, you, if you were married to a 90-year-old woman and you were 50 years old, wouldn't you be looking? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to even relate to that situation. <laughs> well, I mean, it's easy if you think about it. 
if you think about it, just long enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's probably just sitting at home, you know, just waiting for him to croak because, you know, he's so rich and she's just going to get it all. And there's going to be probably, I guess he has kids from his first wife or a second uh, wife. He's got, yeah, he's got yeah, kids all. He's, so he's got kids older than her. Yeah, they're yeah, going to yeah. be fighting about the money. It's yeah. all about the money. They're going to be fighting about that money. Right, right. You know. Yeah, he's uh, he's in hospice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, is he going to run again? Is that what the well, news possibly. is? Well, <laughs> possibly. Know. You know, wouldn't wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Could probably win. You know. Uh, well, uh, yeah, because our governor now can't run again. He, he's, right. he's done. He can't run. And uh, what I find interesting, finally, and I've been thinking about this for weeks and months now. You know how somebody in Baton Rouge passed a bill where people can uh, carry a gun without a permit. Uh-huh. Yeah, did you hear about that? Yeah, I think they yeah. did that in Texas, too. Yeah. It didn't pass. Oh, well, well, did it pass, and, and then it was vetoed by the governor. I think yeah. that's, that's Well, now, finally, the police unions of Louisiana, the whole state, and the police departments and sheriff departments and highway patrol departments, all, all, you know, statewide police, finally, they finally came together and said, we're against this. <laughs> Which is probably a smart thing to do. It's sure. Like, you know, it's like, wh- where were you three months ago when this bill passed? Right. And then got vetoed. Right. Well, they were, they were uh, you know, lobbying to, to uh, keep weed uh, illegal. Because, right. you yeah. know, the, the uh, state police and the, the, uh, the prison guards uh, uh, unions and all are, they spend a lot of uh, lobbying money making sure that weed stays uh, Illegal and keep and, and that makes the, crime go, keep going up. Keeping the the you prisons know, the, full. The, the the criminals are making the money off the weed when when the real criminals are government should be making the money off the weed. Sure, you <laughs> sure. know, sure, shouldn't they? Yep. Oh lord. Yep. <laughs> what an intro. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah. Maybe we should uh, get our guest in the mix here. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I like his voice already. Howdy. Okay, well, uh, so our, our, our guest, he's, uh, he's not from New Orleans, but he's lived here for, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, six, eight, six, seven years at this point. Uh, he uh, comes from Oklahoma. He's, uh, he's a bass player, tuba player, banjo player, multi-instrumentalist, really, record producer, instructor, critic. He's known as the Jew of Oklahoma. Without further ado... Mr. Mark Rubin. Welcome, Mark. Well, howdy, friends and neighbors. I appreciate uh, spending this time and space with you are, guys. Are you the only Jew from Oklahoma? And they were they were happy to see me go. <laughs> yeah, I bet they were. <laughs> hey, but can I just take, we're having a festive time here, and I really do appreciate your time, but can we just take a time out uh, for a little sadness? I just want to say a prayer uh, to our old buddy, Dale. Over there at the Chicky Wawa. Yes, Who? we lost Dale. Dale, the owner of uh, Chicky Wawa, passed yeah, away today. Yeah, we just want to we want to uh, 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 wrap him in light and send him on his way. And uh, and we love that man. And he he uh, offered so many opportunities for the musicians of New Orleans. Uh, a lot of opportunities that a lot of a lot of great roots musicians here in New Orleans uh, wouldn't have. And and for instance. Uh, I was uh, so happy to see you talk to my buddy Dave Alvin recently, and the yes. last time I saw Dave Alvin was at the Chicky Wawa. Right, right, you know? yeah, and 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 you know uh, Dale brought uh, John Doe in, uh, and it's so many so many great acts, uh, yeah, that that wouldn't have a place to play. And yeah. he he was kind of the home for that kind of music here in New Orleans, where uh, you know, and New Orleans is is known for New Orleans music, right, and, and so. 
um, Americana music, folk music, uh, a lot of the singer-songwriter music that you uh, that that you normally wouldn't think of, but but the people in New Orleans really did appreciate and wanted to hear. Um, uh, Dale knew it. Dale loved it. He had a discerning taste, and he ran a great he ran a great shop, and uh, he got a little gruff every now and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, he was, he, he had his uh, his uh, unique personality, shall little, we say? But uh, you know, he, 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 he knew a lot about a lot of things, <laughs> and sometimes you wish he'd keep it to himself. But uh, you know, he wasn't going to. You know, Dale's the kind yeah. of guy who would come up and watch a band setting up their equipment and tell you how you should be setting up the band <laughs> I'm, I'm standing there looking like, are you fucking kidding me man it's like is this really happening you're telling me where i should put my bass amp he's like yeah i i i run this 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 club every every day and it's like yeah i've been playing you know i've never had a club owner have to tell me how to set up a band ever but anyway that was uh, that was part of his unique charm yes a hard, and, hard to go it's a, a great yeah. room some of the, yeah. the nicest bathrooms of any uh club <sighs> in the you, you could have your your parents come and, uh, and yeah. they would have a nice time there. So, yes, that's a tremendous loss. That's a great loss to the community and a, and a great loss to a lot of friends, a friend of the working musician, Dale. And yep. uh, we send you on your way, and thank you, and Godspeed. Right on, Mark. I, I like that. Uh, you're you know, a thoughtful guy. So, so um, you, you know, you... Uh, the reason you came into my consciousness recently is is uh, you have a new record out. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's your your I guess your third solo record. Yes, sir. Um, it's it's called uh, the Triumph of Assimilation. Yes, sir. And uh, it's a it's a bluegrass record, and uh, it it debuted at number fourteen on the bluegrass charts. Congratulations. Yes, on the Billboard bluegrass charts. Uh, I, I just between us kids here. Uh, I, I was as mystified as anybody, to okay. be frank with you. Um, it's it has bluegrass content on it, but I would I would call it an Americana record because I mean I've got a full band rocking on there right. on a couple tracks, and then the, a lot of it is just me slinging a guitar or slinging a banjo. Right. So uh, you could call it. And then I've got I've got the Panorama Jazz Band of New Orleans. Uh, Doing some stone klezmer music, right? Which is yeah, it's not a not a bluegrass, not uh, a bluegrass. So so, and I've also like, and I'm singing a a song a song from the Friday night Friday night liturgy. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be the the first time a bluegrass record in the charts has ever had. uh, had, Like I am, as the British like to say, gobsmacked. You know, I I I, when I I woke up, you know, I got a phone call from the guy at Billboard magazine. He goes, "Well, I need a picture of your record, and I need all of this." I go, you got to tell me what for. And he goes, well, you charted. <laughs> I was you, I never, you know, you and I, we've been in this business a long time. Sure. And, and do we make, do we really make our records to chart? I mean, we make our records because we want to make good music. Sure. I wouldn't know how to make a record we to We wouldn't to know chart. how yeah, yeah, to yeah. make how a do, record how to chart. That? How do you do that? Like, like if we knew how, we'd have done it already. Sure, everybody and, would. And so when I got this, when I went and like, I literally didn't believe it, didn't believe it until I woke up and then my publicist sent me a, a picture of the of the screenshot of it and I was like, holy cow, turn this, you know, it's it's like hitting one, ringing one of those bells that you didn't know was even there. Yeah. You know I mean, and it's nice. it's been really great. The it's one of those deals where you know COVID um, was such a terrible year for everybody, and I had a terrible year, and I think we all had a terrible year. And 
I kind of wanted to do like pull something out of it, uh-huh. you know, and like falling back on, you know, you know, uh, my Jewish training, like, this is awful. What are we going to do something? <laughs> like, what good can we make of this okay. awful, awful time? So I, I took that. I took that stimulus money that we all got, mm-hmm. you know, money, the kind of capital that I'd never have under normal circumstances. Right. And I invested that in this record. And and in January, I went back to Austin and I I put together this record. And, and, and man, I just threw it all out on the table. I didn't leave anything behind, as, as we say back in Oklahoma. Left it all out on the field. Yeah. You know, I just did not hold back for a moment didn't think about how it was going to be received I didn't think about who it was for I just it was just this has got to come out uh, the time is is we don't have time that these messages need to get out now these are prescient messages they need to get out now sure and I've got to do it right now I don't care uh, uh, I don't uh, I'm taking no counsel from anybody whether this is going to work or not right and then it's amazing how that that was my goal, and from that, uh, it's been just so well received. That's that's fantastic, man. I, I'm well, just so amazed. Well, yeah, you know, you're, you're saying how you, you it's it's got to come out now. It's like uh, you know we're all in the drop zone. You're about our age, a little bit younger than me and Manny, but uh, you know, as as uh, as evidenced by Dale's loss, I had another great friend, uh, the singer of the Geraniums, uh, Brendan Gallagher, passed away last week, and a tremendous loss. But uh, yeah, Manny or I or you, any of us could drop dead. Uh, Tonight, so yeah, you know, it's, we're in what a friend of mine calls the health corridor. <laughs> yeah, I call you know, it the drop zone, but yeah, sure, yeah, right, I think like, it's the like, same if thing. Something's going to happen. I, uh, the listeners, I guess, need to know. I'm gonna, I'm going to hit my 55th birthday in August. Okay, you know, so and Happy I'm birthday. not the picture of health. Uh, if you can look me up online, you will see. Yeah, but uh, but also I thought that you know the messages that that you know, for instance, the record is built around a couple pieces of Yiddish poetry. Mm-hmm. And I've been involved in the klezmer music world for a very, very long time. Right. And the language of that music is Yiddish. Mm-hmm. And some of these messages from these poets, especially Mordecai Gebertig, the guy who's uh, leaned on heavily on this recording, this is a guy who was whose poetry we know about was because it was smuggled out of his internment. This is a guy who was writing about the rise of fascism um, in 1936 in Poland. Uh-huh. He saw this coming. But in, at that time, he was telling the Jewish people around him not necessarily to despair, but to work against it. Right. That, that it was possible. And so a tune like It's Burning comes from this poem called Es Brent. And literally, the lyric is "It's Brent Nebech," which means "idiot." It's burning, you idiot. You know, like wake, right? Wake up. But it says you have tools. There are buckets here. But what you're doing is you're just standing around. Yep. You know. But the key is, is that you can affect change. And we saw so much burning over this over this COVID. Term. Well, and and even before that, just uh, you know, uh, part of that that neutral ground 
uh, movie is the the guys are going around uh, you know different places where they're they're having the Confederate monuments fight. Uh, one of the, he goes to Charlottesville just and so happens that uh, you know it's there with the Jews will not replace us and blood and soil and he's there walking w- as they're chanting all that. So you know that goes back before COVID. So uh, well, you know yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was the run up. You know what I mean? This right. Was, it was the run up and then and then. I mean, did wasn't that a mind blower? I mean, when the Charlottesville happened, um, I was ready for some of that good old fashioned down south patented racism. You know that delicious KKK <laughs> racism. You know that we all know so well. But what was Charlottesville? That, that was uh, <laughs> a few years ago when they had uh, the the Proud Boys out there marching with the tiki it was, torches. It was uh, called the Unite the Right rally, right? Okay. And I was I was all prepared for it, but what did they chant? The Jews will not replace us, and it was just such a smack in the face to be reminded. Holy cow! It's right there. It's just right there below the surface. Now, now it was shocking. So, so, so you have this this record, you know, the triumph of assimilation. And and I'm, as I look at the title, is like, has it? Is it a triumph? You know, I mean, has it been a triumph? I mean, you think back to to to, to Germany. Well, this is a this is a, an audio podcast, so making faces doesn't doesn't work. But, I'm being coy. But yeah. uh, yes, you are. But you know, like a, like the 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 Jews of Germany were the most uh, assimilated Jews yes. in Europe, and they the thought Jews that they, of Germany they, were the most assimilated in Europe. They thought that would be their salvation. If we're just more like the Gentiles, then they won't hate us as much. It turns out that's not true, Mark. Well, let's let's unpack that. Yes, for please, a do, please do. Please do because because yes, here we are in America, and we thought you know that that the, all this was behind us, and mm-hmm. you know you certainly have grown up, you know, and and we want to get into your your childhood experience, but but unpack what we well, have now. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Renee. The the title is not an answer; it's a question. And so you asked that question, and then you just came up with a scenario. It's really true. Uh, I'll give you another story. The Jews of Budapest, um, who lived in the city of Budapest, they weren't rounded up until 44. Right, right. Um, But the Jews outside of Budapest, out in the country, they were long gone. So they thought that being cosmopolitan and in the city, that would, they'd survive. You know what I mean? There's right. always there's always this thought, right? Because they know us, and so you know we're familiar to them. They yeah. don't they don't hate us. They like, need well, us. Right. They need us. We teach their children. We uh, we're their doctors. We're their lawyers. It's this it's this fifteen percent. It's this two percent of the population that that gave them eighty uh, percent of their Nobel prizes. Right. Do you know what I mean? Sure. It's this idea that we contribute outsize of our numbers will somehow save us in some way. Yeah. Um, this is precisely the thought process of the polls. Um, if you look at the numbers of how many members of Jews were part of the Polish military or the medical profession or the, uh, uh, in Poland uh, sure. rolling up before 1936 or in Germany or France or the Holland. You, you, you name the country, uh, then you're also describing the tragedy. Right, right. So if the Jews are the doctors and the teachers and all that, why are they so disliked? 
That's a question for... See, that's a great question. I mean, um, I'm reminded, <laughs> you know... I'm and why are they so? Why were they so gullible in a way to think that if they just fit in, everything will be all right? Well, isn't that? These are great questions. I mean, that's that's kind of the question for the non-Jew who comes to my recording, I guess. Because for Jewish people who come to my music and who come to my shows and who come to listen to my my music, they have. They have one set of experiences here in America, and, and to be honest with you, urban Jews and rural Jews also experience my music in much different ways. But non-Jews are challenged in a way to ask those sorts of questions themselves, is what I've come to find. Is That's a great question. Why is the Jews? There's actually a song on my record that poses that question. Right. Uh, as, as Renee, um, you know, it says, you know, it's always the Jews. You know, we caused global warming. We give you the blues. Wherever we go, we're always bad news. Whatever goes wrong, it's always the Jews. Sure, it's an easy target. It's a, it's a target going back millennia, you know. And, you know, the QAnon conspiracy today, and, you know, let's be very clear, we Jews know very well that it is couched 100% in anti-Semitism. Sure. No ifs, ands, or buts. It is simply the latest version of what we refer to as the medieval blood libel. Right. Now that we have your attention, ladies and gentlemen, please pull out your cell phones and Wikipedia the follow blood libel. Yes. While you're also there, go to the Learned Elders of Zion. Please look that up as well because if you mix those two up, shake up a little Henry Ford, uh, douse it with uh, modern conspiracy theories and you have, uh, voila, the beautiful little stew we like to refer to as QAnon in its most recent version. Yeah. So. Yep, crazy. And, and, and you know, who, who thought this would be, uh, would be, well, I guess anyone with a, with a uh, historical sense <laughs> would, would know, well, even though it seems cool now, don't, don't relax too much. Don't get too, uh, don't get too relaxed. And I, I, tend, I tend to feel that, like, sometimes I, sometimes I get myopic. I get a little myopic, and I think that I'm only speaking to Jewish people in my music. And the fact of the matter, it's not. And, like, some of these messages that I'm trying to get across, especially in a song like It's Burning, which is based in Yiddish poetry, is a universal message. Because when I'm saying it's burning, idiot, you damn fools, pick up a bucket, you have the tools, there's someplace burning everywhere. And it's not just a literal one. It's My ass is burning right now. I had Mexican last night. <laughs> Man, they had hot wings yeah. here, too. I yeah, guess. I heard that. It was, like, was a special. But, you know, I was from, I'm from Los Angeles. I grew mm. up on the west side. Los I had a lot of Jewish friends in high school mm -hmm. and after high school. I had a friend of mine who was a rabbi. His uh -huh. dad was a rabbi. Right. And he was the head of Jewish studies at UCLA, Irving okay. White. Okay. And uh, I went to a couple funerals, Jewish funerals with them and stuff. But he always told me, he said, never eat kosher. Kosher's the worst. Don't it's ever the eat. worst. He said, don't ever eat kosher. It's the worst. That's what he used to say to me all the time. And Manny, what? don't eat kosher. It's the worst. It's the worst <laughs> that was Manny. his one piece of advice to yeah. you. No, <laughs> it's the worst. It is. It. <laughs> no, it's the worst. There's a song on my record about it. <laughs> you keep referencing songs on my record. And I haven't even heard it yet. You're really helping me out. And I haven't even heard the record yet. You're really helping me out. Let's take a step back uh, to, to your childhood. So you, mm -hmm. you grew up in, in Oklahoma? Or you're, Stillwater, you're, Oklahoma. Payne County. Seated Payne County. And, and 
so uh, and and I I understand your father was kind of a, a leader of the Jewish community there. Yes, both families. <laughs> he was the leader of both Jewish families. There. The story is, is it's an agricultural and engineering school up there, Oklahoma State University. Okay. It also has uh, one of the largest hospitality and uh, the hotelery mm-hmm. schools up there. So oh, okay. a lot, a lot of people went uh, went through there. A lot of people from back east, as it turns out. So my father ran the Brandeis Club. And so if there were, uh, you know, Jewish students coming through mm-hmm. and the few Jewish families, farming families mostly, and merchant families in some of the small towns around, or in and around there, whenever we have services, my father would lead them. Okay, and, so you guys didn't even have a synagogue there, really? Oh, no, it was the back of the, uh, uh, the Southern Methodist uh, Student Association. <laughs> okay. And my father went and got a Torah from uh, a, a synagogue that had... Uh, shuttered in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, if you can believe that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I know because I've got the clippings for all this stuff, and I know because we have the clippings for all this stuff because all of that stuff was published in the paper. So whenever there was something that happened uh, like that, like a Torah came to town Mm -hmm. or it was Passover or something like that, my father and the family would get our pictures taken in the local paper, the Stillwater Transcript was the name of it. And back, you think that was a wise thing to do? This is where we're going with that. <laughs> this is where we're going with that. Not only would it say that, it would say, Bob and Susan Rubin with eldest son Mark light the, light the uh, Sabbath candles. Uh, they say Bob and Susan Rubin of 727. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Invariably, that's uh, when you moved. Well, no, you got the rocks through the windows, mm. and on one occasion, you got the swastikas on the doors. You got oh, it geez. so frequently that my dad joked that he said that he wanted to give them, he wanted to catch them, just so he could give them a class on how to do them right. Because <laughs> they, they always, put them they backwards. always <laughs> did them backwards. He's yeah. like, start at the top and come down the left, you know, oh, to geez. the right. But your your mom wasn't Jewish. Well, she uh, she eventually she converted. converted. She converted okay. before I was born. Uh, okay. So in uh, uh, depending on your what uh, what your denomination within our tribe is, that de- depends on whether you think how Jewish I am. But uh, I've she kept a Jewish household, and I am bar mitzvah, so uh, that makes as me as Jewish as you need to be. Yeah, that makes, uh, yeah, makes yeah. me kosher. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I don't want to get into, into I, that. I'm, but but so well, how did how did your family wind up there? Is that is that was that the first generation of of your family in no, Oklahoma? My my, my family. Uh, I'm doing genealogy right now. I've been doing a lot of research on genealogy of late, but my my father was actually born in uh, uh, his family. His family uh, was from Chicago, but he ended up in Arizona. So my family had a ranch, and uh, uh, his father was a, a silver miner and rancher in Arizona. Okay. And then uh, he moved to uh, uh, Oklahoma to take over a marching band fraternity called Kappa Kappa Psi. And he also had a brother. His younger brother was in the military at Fort Sill in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So we kind of had the family all there in Oklahoma. Okay, so, but you guys didn't have, like, deep roots there. No, and, no, 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 I don't have. Well, not many people have deep roots in Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, uh, 1889 would be the earliest you could, thanks to the land run. Right, right. Okay. But uh, my, my, brother, uh, my brother Barry is a, was an adopted Native American. Okay. And so we had, you know, if you can imagine, the Jewish family with a brown 
brown boy. Sure. You know what I mean? So we really were... You're really trying to make targets oh, of yourselves. we were yeah. really, really, really uh, doing well. But we did, in fact, leave Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I, Are your it, parents alive today? Uh, my mother's still with us, yes. Okay. But uh, my father... Is she uh, in a safe house? Yeah. <laughs> She's back in Arizona, finally. Oh, okay. But... Uh, we did have a cross burned in our yard, and I do remember mm. it was not... In Arizona or Oklahoma? In Stillwater. In Stillwater. It wasn't too long after that, I don't think, that we did move to Norman, which is south of Oklahoma City, and my dad was the Hillel director of the uh, uh, the University of Oklahoma, Hillel. Okay. But, I mean, this is at a time when people were still, like, feeling around for your horns. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and... and uh, it's you know, there's this. Do you thing. think I think the best thing to do to fight the cross burning mm-hmm. was to go would be to go out there and make s'mores. Now see, humor, humor is the key, because let me tell you something. My dad taught me. You'd love this, man. When people would challenge you, because people in the South like to challenge people, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever I would get challenged, and I can only pull this off because you'll note I'm a kind of a big guy. My dad would say, if anybody asks you, hey, now, did the Jews kill Jesus? <laughs> My response is, bring him back. We'll kill him again. <laughs> you see, yes, yes. You got to use. Now, see, I can only pull that off because I'm so 300 I know pounds. So many six Jews, one. Right. I, why do so many Jews I know say, Jesus Christ, God damn it. What's I'll tell going you exactly on? Exactly why. I'll why do they say use the word Jesus Christ? It's they... not our Lord's name in vain. <laughs> it's go. not our Lord. <laughs> you didn't know that? Yeah, that makes <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> well, so uh, uh, getting to your your music career. So so okay. so you're a, a young kid, you you come up in the school band playing tuba, tuba. I'm guessing. Yeah, my dad played the baritone horn okay. and I just admired him so much. He's a lifelong musician. Oh, right. And I wanted to be in band with him so bad. And the way you could be in if the way I could sit next to my dad who was first chair baritone was to be the last chair tuba. Oh, okay. Right, so in the back in the old days you used to have community bands in small towns. Right. And so they would they would uh, rehearse on Thursdays and play on uh, Saturday afternoons in the gazebo, literally in the in the center of town. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I kind of got into the tuba originally. And then I took it up in school band, and then uh, punk rock happened. Uh-huh. And then I got into electric bass, and uh, that, uh, that, that got me more in, uh, involved into punk rock music and stuff. What kind of punk is in Stillwater? Well, that's by the time I got to Norman. And, okay, uh, Norman, and, no and I'd gotten a little older, and uh, there were bands like uh, the Flaming Lips were, were, right. were coming up out of Oklahoma City, and there were a lot of bands from L.A., uh, like uh, Black Flag and the Minutemen and uh, Meat Puppets and a lot of the groups. Would they go through your town? Oh, yeah, because if you look at Oklahoma City, you know, on a map, you know, it's just equal, you know. The, it's yep. right there on the way. It's yeah, right yeah. there on the way. Everybody, it was a passing through, and so the Flaming Lips had a PA set up, and we would get a venue, and then uh, local band. We had local bands that would open up for them. Mm. So ever man, I'm telling you, if if it was one, it was a thousand punk rock bands came through there over the course of about three or four years. Did you have a punk rock band? Yeah, I was in a couple. Uh, the, the names of which I uh, the, the 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 band I played with most was a group called the Bedrockers. Terrible name. The Bedrockers. Yeah, you like yeah, that? That is horrible. But at that time, by the way. 
the bands that were playing on the same circuit were a lot of the roots rock bands. So I got to see Los Lobos on their very first tour, mm-hmm. and I got to see uh, the Blasters a bunch uh-huh. when they were out there with Lee Allen, right? And when they were first getting going. So nice. I was exposed to a, a like a wide range. I don't remember if do you remember Evan Johns and the H Bombs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good lord, that was a punk rock band as far as I was concerned. Uh-huh. You know the kind of energy that they put well, out. Well, Evan was insane. Yeah, so. you know, for instance. So we got you got exposed. I was very, very lucky because it was also a place where you saw all the great blues bands. We saw Roy Buchanan. You yeah. know, we saw uh, the reggae band culture one night and then we'd see you know us NRBQ like there was because Oklahoma City and Norman Oklahoma were right there in the middle uh, we just saw bands come through all the time and I really think that that's at that seminal age I was about say 14 to 18 right you know uh, I just swam in those waters you know seeing double trouble you know, seeing Angela Straley, right? You know, like who did a who did a weekly at a club in Oklahoma City on a circuit? Seeing the Fabulous Thunderbirds on Monday, seeing Double Trouble on Tuesday, seeing the Tailgaters on Thursday. You know, man, on re- like right weekly, right? It was uh, it's instead of going to college, which I did not do, and broke everybody in my family's heart. Uh-huh. Um, I ended up getting involved in that, and that's what I had been. I had been playing bluegrass music as a hobby, mm-hmm. but when the roots music came along, I I really, 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 really focused on it, and it, it was like uh, it it became it kind of overtook me there for a while, and it and by the time I'd moved to Dallas, I had found some guys that were just like me. They they too had really, really, really. Uh, had, had some of them were raised up playing bluegrass music and some of them had just had come to bluegrass music but we had all had rock and roll or punk rock backgrounds and we formed this group called Killbilly right yes your first first big band that uh, that people yeah, kind of know you from yeah kind of and we we toured around for a while and we had a lot of success and uh, and and that's where I met a we hired a banjo player who uh, had was stone country and he had grewed up his only instrument he had ever played was the five-string banjo. But when I met him, uh, he he had worked out like MC5 tunes on the five-string yeah. banjo. You know what I mean? And I'm going, who are you? You know, I'm, I'm going to hang out with you. Okay. And uh, that was Danny Barnes, who right. ended up being my partner. Still is. Uh, I just got a text from him right now. Nice. Um, and, and you guys wound up starting the Bad Livers. Precisely. Uh, famous Bad Livers. Yeah, uh, so that went on for there. And then I ended up moving from Texas, uh, from, pardon me, from Dallas uh, and, and, and down to Austin. And, uh, and then once again, jumped into the Austin scene, you know what I mean? And played with so many people. It's, it's right. difficult to... Right. And we're we're going to get into all that. But, you know, uh, um, Mark, we always take a little break. To uh, to, sure. to get more cocktails, we're gonna get look some at hot wings. Looking at no, we, <laughs> we can't eat during the can't eat during the podcast. But uh, man, you want to take a break now? Yeah, sure. That's, I think it's time our glasses are empty. Why do I have a short glass? Well, because last time you, I thought you were kind of complaining that it was a big drink. It was a double or something. Like you didn't like that, and then I don't know. I'm 
just trying to oh. trying to meet your expectations, man. Oh, I don't know what, what you're talking about. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. So the nation knows what to do, man. So we're gonna take a break and we break. Feel this like has been fun. What are you drinking? Last time I drank, uh, I quit every band I was in. It was really ugly. <laughs> yeah, it was ugly. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll be right back. Yes, it's burning Everything is burning down But your arms are crossed and you're standing round It's burning Said it's burning Said it's burning Listen up, you whole damn fools Pick up a bucket, you got the tools It's burning Where they're going round and taking names Putting every home to the flames It's burning And if there was any doubt Well, there ain't no firemen to put it out It's burning Swallowed up our town But your heads are bowed And you're staring down It's burning Where there ain't no rain There ain't no flood We'll quench these flames With our blood It's burning Well, it's burning Said it's burning Everything is burning down But your arms are crossed And you're standing round It's burning up you hog damn fools pick up the buckets you got the tools it's burning and we're back back with mr manny chevrolet i am renee coman back with our guest mr mark rubin now mark um you know we, we've had a, a sponsor for for a bunch of years or, or, or about a year or so and uh it's a terrific company but uh i guess many the, they're they're doing some rebranding that's what i what i understand the ceo yeah he uh he texted us or messaged us over the weekend said uh um that they're Starting to rebrand the product, the Velo Bar. Right, right. Uh, which is a great tasting bar. Comes in two great flavors, <laughs> peanut butter and dark chocolate. And uh, it's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. Takes the edge off, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, we do. And, yeah, they're getting ready to start up, I guess, after July 21st. It's going to be something big. Okay. Some kind of rebranding or something okay. like that. I don't know. What does rebranding mean? Well, I, I guess, you know, the for, re, a, for re, a bar like re, that. Renaming it or something in a new company name. So, so, so now we, we're, we're back to uh, just being sponsored by Loose Change, right? That's, that was our <laughs> yeah, yeah, original yeah. sponsor, Loose, Loose Change. Loose Change, yes. uh, Like you find in your, in your couch cushions. Right. So that's that's our, pretty much our that's, only sponsor. That's our only sponsor. But and, Nation, you can still, as, as far as I know, 
uh, when this show goes out next week, or no, yeah, well, next week, um, you'll still be able to get the Velo Bar, and you'll always be able to get the Velo Bar. I suppose so. But I don't know. Maybe they're going to call it the Mellow Bar. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. What are you talking about? One break, one out there, <laughs> sir. What are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. Well, right. I, can, I can get you some, man. You yeah, while, while, while supplies and, last. And, and, and anyway, if you go to their website, and, and you can order them. It's a great fucking thing. And, and uh, check it out. Yeah. But, uh, get, yeah. them all, get them while you can. Yeah, I think they're going to be there still for a while. It's just, I don't know. My friend, the guy, the CEO who started this company, he's a nut. Yeah. And, uh, you know. He's got all uh, kind of kooky ideas. His, his uh, boy just graduated high school. Okay. And, so he's uh, an empty nester. Soon, will soon be, perhaps. Well, I don't know what that means. Right, again. I, I okay. really don't, you know, okay. empty nester. Right, you right. Know. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, out there, uh, support the podcast by giving us money. That's sure, That's basically yes. what we want you well, to do. Well, yes, uh, you know, we, we yeah. do rely on, on uh, patrons for the from the Patreon page and uh, uh, con- contributions to the cocktail fund, direct support from our listeners, and uh, we do appreciate that, and and while you're at it, you know, subscribe to us on uh, on uh, you know Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, rate us, give us five star rating, review us, um, you know, follow us on social media and, and share us. Yes, sharing's a big thing, right? Right. You have to share. Yes. If In you, order to be successful, I guess you have to share. If you're enjoying the podcast, yes, tell yeah, your friends. Tell you your friends. Other degenerates that uh, might enjoy this this kind of uh, chit chat. And, and, and we have good guests. Oh yeah, great guests. Yeah. Yes. They're pretty good. Like and our guest tonight, Mr. Man, Mark Rubin. What yeah. a great list of guests! I'm yeah. just so honored to be on it. I just <laughs> I, I looked at I looked it over. I listened to a couple of them. Boy, I was. I don't know how I got on this list. Uh, well, you know, just uh, you know, g- good looks and uh, and talent, Mark. <laughs> You're on the list because someone named names. Yeah, Ooh. basically. Yes, <laughs> there's always someone ready to yeah, name names. You name names. You're on the list. Yeah, afraid so. So so uh, so so, Mark, you 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 first go to Dallas. Yep. And and that's where you start uh, Kill Billy, and you're mm-hmm. there for a few years playing with that band. Y'all are very successful, and then you you move to Austin. That's right. Me and yeah, do I, uh, the, Danny Barnes asked me down there. Let me yeah. ask you a question, Dallas. Yeah. I've been to Dallas a few times. Sure. It, it's 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 not uh, it's not that it's not that great a city. I could not find anything appealing about that city whatsoever. Well, you except know. some of the women. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. You know, Dallas is where all the pretty girls from Lufkin go to. Why is that? <laughs> just it's because it's the only place. Have you met any men from Lufkin? Where's Lufkin? Lufkin. Oh, Lufkin. Yeah, that's no, East Texas. No. Yeah. I do. I love Austin. I think Austin's a fabulous place. Oh, of course. Well, that's probably. I ended yeah. up there. I definitely ended up there. No, Dallas is where all the pretty girls from East Texas and Southern Oklahoma end up. Okay. That's, that's that's yeah. That's where you go to if if you. So fishing. why aren't there more strip bars in Dallas? Oh, there used to be a million really? of them. Yeah. In fact, I thought that that's all they had off I thirty five North. That's really? about all they had. Where's off the of Harry Hines? Harry Hines Parkway Harry was Hines. nothing but but uh, strip strip clubs. Yeah. Last I checked. But I look. I when I head north, I try and go the the Fort Worth way. I try not to go through Dallas. I okay. Right. Yeah. I just found Dallas. I mean, I haven't been there in like. I drove through there during Katrina because when we evacuated, we, yeah. we went to live in Austin. Yeah. But we were in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and we drove through Dallas. Yeah. I think we stayed a night in Dallas. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, that was about it. I spent know. a week there one night. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, where's the place, though? Is this... 
Armorillo, where you, if you eat a 72 ounce steak, you don't have to pay for it. I think it's out that way. It's yeah. up there in the panhandle, yeah. and, and 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 God bless you if you can. Um, no, I could I, never do that. Yeah, I try. I try and. Stay I can't even from finish that. a quarter pounder with cheese. I, I'm I'm a big believer in food not being a sport. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I think drinking's a sport. Uh, it can be. It certainly yeah. can be. Oh yeah. Yeah. Competitive sport. Yeah, it can be competitive. But then but you know we just came with Fourth of July uh, and they had that Nathan's hot dog thing where they consider themselves. I'm, I'm just. They're not athletes. L- athletes. No. Food I saw a documentary about that hot dog eating contest. No, I, people it, people do it. Uh, people do it, and the, but they're not my people. You know, <laughs> no, I mean people I, do a lot of things. Yeah, but Manny. can you imagine eating seventy six hot dogs in ten minutes? Well, no. um, but see, the thing is, is that uh, uh, food, and and you will note that you're talking to a three hundred pound person. Um, food food is is something that is to be savored and enjoyed. Yeah, and sought it should out be. and. Uh, I mean, you're looking at someone who drives 60 miles one way to go get barbecue when I lived in Texas. I mean, wow, I, okay. um, I, 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 I don't think that, that uh, shoving it in your mouth, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's hate eating. There's a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a word for that in German called Kummerspeck, which means hateful, hateful pork. You know what really? I mean? Like, yeah, which means sh- shameful pork. It means you know eating, you know, to to stuff it down. You know what I mean? To, to because you've got some terrible thing you're trying to get rid of. Angry eating. Yeah, angry yeah. eating. Kummerspeck. You know, and I was just like, ugh. You know, like, no, no, man. Like, uh, we're only here for so long. Let's make this go round enjoyable. You know? Right. And but I figure. But the thing is, yeah. like, we're all in our fifties now, and I figure. You know, being from L.A. and all that, you yeah. know, I always, you know, very uh, health conscious and body conscious. Right. And, you know, everyone has to look good. You know, I was in a band. I was, I, mm. I did acting and stuff like that. So sorry to hear. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> and um, dated a lot of actresses and models and you know, aerobics instructors and stuff. But I figure now, especially now that I'm in New Orleans, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, who cares now? It's like, I was going to well, let I'm, yourself go. Yeah, I just like... Just well, like, look, my, my know, dad only made it, my like dad only eat, made it to 47, and oh, I'm, I'm... Is that because he ate too much? No, he just... Uh, Rubens are not healthy. They're and, not healthy. Uh, <laughs> and just honestly... And they need a sandwich after you. <laughs> for instance, <laughs> Poe Boy's cousin, Mr. Ruben. And, uh, but no, the... Uh, no, the, the, uh, I, I come from punk rock. We didn't plan on going past 50. There's, sure. not, there's not a one of us who believe we lived under Thatcher and Reagan. You know what I mean? We thought right. for sure it was going to come down on our heads. Right. We made no plans. It's obviously. I mean, uh, what yes, I just look at us. Yeah, just look, look at, at all us of us now. Yeah. You know, so uh, you know, I've, I, I know. Getting back to our original point, yeah, I think it's on I-44 up in the Texas Panhandle. And uh, no, the answer is no. Do not eat that. Oh, okay, not the <laughs> seventy-two ounce steak. Yeah, right, 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 right. Don't do it. Yeah, but you have to eat the the bread, the, the, the taters, salad, the potatoes, the, the, the baked it. beans. Uh, that's, that's in order to get, get it for you. free. That's where they get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they get you with the bread. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, Keep so, it coming. <laughs> right, right. And who well, do you have to stoop to get soft butter? That's the thing I always <laughs> want to know. <laughs> well, so Mark, you uh, you make your way to to Austin, and 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 you have the the bad livers, which is like you know it's it's a trio or a duo and you're playing a slap upright bass yeah, and, uh, and and you guys play without a drummer for many years or for the whole time the whole time the whole time yeah the whole time I've, I'm, I like to say that I've made a career drummerless 
Okay. You know, pretty much. And 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 you become a real student of of slap bass playing, mm-hmm. uh, upright sl- slap bass playing, rockabilly style slap yeah. bass playing. But then it's not just rockabilly that you that utilizes yes, that. Sir. It's it's uh, all these other forms. And you've and you've like klezmer music. Oh, yeah. You've become a student of all that. Talk talk about well the uh, I really you know I really got into the uh, the upright studying the upright bass and then then uh, the rockabilly style which you find shows up in uh, in blues playing from Will, the great Willie Dixon mm-hmm. and then you hear it in jazz playing. You hear it on all early Duke Ellington records and such. And right. I just, I was tore up about it. Like, how do you get that sound? And not many people knew how to do it. So I knew this other guy my age, and he and I were roommates. We were both upright bass players with this other guy named Kevin Smith. Yes. And he and I, now just for context, Kevin Smith is Willie Nelson's bass player right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> we were roommates for about uh, 12 years, oh, actually. Wow. And so it was the house of bass. And yeah. so the two of us were studying the slap bass technique. And so we were right right there on top of each other. So whenever one guy learned something, the other guy would show the other guy. And, and we were in a constant state of listening and studying. Mm-hmm. Now, one day, I saw on TV this amazing uh, reel, like an old uh, Vitatone reel in black and white of a little Mexican band playing. And there was this little rotund bass player dressed up in Western wear playing slap bass, playing uh, Tex-Mex music. And Mm -hmm. I'd never encountered that before. And I was like, holy cow, what is this? And my Spanish is terrible. But what I noticed was is this was an obituary for this bass player. And I come to find out it's this guy, Juan Viesca. Yes. And so I call up this friend of mine, a guy named Steve James, a wonderful musician who at the time lived in San Antonio. And he told me that Juan Viesca was the bass player for the great Santiago Jimenez Jr. Yes. And that he had just died and that Santiago was bereft because he was about to make a recording and he needed a bass player. Uh Uh-huh. Why don't I call Santiago up? Nice. So out of the blue, I just pick up the phone and call this guy up. Doesn't know me from Adam's ass. Pick up the phone and go, hi, my name's Mark. I'm calling you from Austin, and I play bass in the style of, of uh, Juan Viesca. Silence on the phone. And then he goes, can you be here tomorrow at 3 p.m.? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so for everybody that doesn't know, Santiago is, is uh, Flaco Jimenez's older brother, um, their father was uh, Santiago Jimenez Sr., a giant in uh, conjunto music. And, and uh, you know, actually, the Iguanas, our, our very first single uh, that we made a 45 of before we had a record deal or anything, we went to, to San Antonio and recorded at Santiago. At Chief Records? It's recorded at Chief Records Studio, yes. Oh, so yes. you know that studio well. I, I do, I do. We did one day there, and... And at the end of the session, we were we were like uh, you know st- starting to, to do some some mixing, I guess. You know, Santiago wanted to put a mix, and in the one point, the uh, the take up reel of the of the recording machine flies off and slams against the the window <laughs> of the control room. And I was it was the end of the day anyway. I was like, let's take the tape and leave <laughs> before something that. before something goes really wrong. Oh man! So so you wound well, up playing with Santiago I, for I ended up being I ended up being his bassist. I was his AR man there for a while. Uh-huh. I got him a record deal on Watermelon Records, and his first record got nominated for a Latin Regional Grammy. Nice. So uh, that made us fast friends. Um, yeah. Then I ended up uh, being his tour, touring bassist for a while. Uh, I got him a tour of Europe, but unfortunately, I was shown the 
door on that tour. You're going to like this because as the... Because you were Jewish? No, well, better as I was white. Uh, Uh, (laughs) The promoter said that if they needed a white bass player, they could get one there in Europe. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. (laughs) You think? Yeah, it's pretty funny. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, that was pretty wild. But... uh, so uh, and so, what I did was I found him a Mexican bass player, okay. <laughs> a guy named JJ Barrera, who was a, who played oh, yeah. with the Tailgaters, who right. was a wonderful. He was from Eagle Pass, mm. and he was a you know a, 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 the a, and he ended up being Santiago's bass player ever since that point. And wow, so I, really? just, I just gave up the gig. You know what I mean? If we're if Man. we're gonna well, it, it's right and natural, don't you think? I mean, well, yeah, I it's guess. better better. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not my music. It's it's JJ's music. Well, and but so, how, is it not your music i mean uh, i'm a visitor right well and so no this is my this is how i look at it okay. kind of how i look at it so but i i brought santiago up to, you know to a point where he he had a, a good record deal he was he was touring europe he was doing really good this is at the same time bad livers are playing right and at the same time i'm working in the klezmer field yes so you your your plate was full yeah, I had a lot of things going on. And then by the time I had J.J. rolling with him, uh, Bad Livers got the got to working with Richard Linkletter on his film, The Newton Boys. Mm. And we did the soundtrack for uh, uh, his film. Okay. And so that uh, that took up a lot of the time. And that's, right. that was kind of like the pinnacle there, you know, working with Richard, you know. Uh, and as as an actor, you probably know working with... Uh, with uh, Hollywood is just so much fun. It's yeah, just, it's just. It's <laughs> well, the only just, thing I can say that's is good about it is the money. The yeah. money's always very good. Yeah, the money. Well, you know, as 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 but they say, as they show up with the circus. Yeah. When they write the check, they show up with the circus. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, it's a lot of just like a lot of things in the entertainment business. It's um, hurry up and wait. Yeah, and you know it's like, why do I have to be here at six a.m. when I'm not going to be in front of the camera till four o'clock? Precisely, a lot yeah, of that. It's like I don't understand Ooh, that but at all. Doing the soundtrack, it was it was one of the great learning experiences of my life. It was a great uh, it was a great experience. I think the music that I did for them was spectacular. It's impossible. What to film find is this now. for again? It's called uh, the Newton Boys. Okay, yeah, yeah. You can yeah, find yeah, it on yeah. Netflix. Yeah, uh, okay. super super proud of it. My buddy Danny Barnes did all of the string music that you hear all of the rest of the music the jazz music what other that. films did Linkletter do did he do Dazed and Confused yeah I did a bunch yeah. of others yeah Friday did he Night do Lights. School of Rock yep that's him yeah. as well yeah he's done some good films done some good stuff so uh, so so there I am doing all of this stuff and and then uh, also I'm filling in one of the one of the jobs I got in Austin was because my plate was full I became a uh, a, a, a first call sideman for other bass players because they knew I wouldn't steal their gig. Right. Okay. Sure. Right. Yes. So like, there was no chance of me going and stealing the bass player for Dale Watson's gig. Okay. So if if I'd never forget the bass player for Dale Watson, Dale was an amazing musician, but he'd call me up and he goes, "Well, my boy in Alabama got in trouble, and I need to go out there and see him out there. So, uh, Mark, could you could you come and do a week?" I said, sure, I can come do a week for you because I'm 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 free, and then I'd show up down at the gig, and uh, Dale Watson had turned at me and he'd go, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even know you were 
<laughs> and I go, well, I'm your bassist for this week. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> but the thing was is that I, I was I was well known enough. There was a guy named Don Walzer. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with him, mm-hmm. but I, I I was Don Walzer's uh, first call bassist for a while. Uh, I played a second or third call with Dale Watson. There was a guy named Cornell Hurd and his band. So I got okay. to end up playing with a lot of the stone country bands around uh, Austin that played you know the good old fashioned four on the floor honky tonk. Right. Right. And then also when I wasn't touring. Uh, because you know, the more successful you get, the less you play. Do you know what I mean? So as Bad Livers got more successful, we played less and less for the same music, for the same money. Right, right, right. You know? So you have more time, but you want to play as you a musician. Play. You want to be playing, yes. Yeah. So I, I met these crazy guys out in Houston who played uh, Polish dance music. They were in a Polish polka band. Okay. And a bunch of other guys who came from Czech Bohemian bands. They were just the, some of the most fun music I ever played. And you were already into klezmer music at this yeah, point? Yeah, so uh, I, it was just, a, it was just a, a right-hand turn, and I got to, I got, what was fun about those bands is that they were like these little regional bands, like these little Cajun and Zydeco bands we have here in Louisiana. Right. They were these little regional bands that knew, nobody knew about, but they were awesome. So I had connections through Santiago with the National Folk Festival. Okay. So I would call them up and I go, you got to hear this Polish band from out here in Rose Hill, Texas. They are incredible. Yeah. And so they would hire them. And so this band that had never been out of a four-county range of Rose Hill would get flown. In some cases, some of the guys in the band had never been on a plane. Uh-huh. They would get flown up to the National Folk Festival up in uh, Lowell, Massachusetts or okay. Maine or whatever and play these huge festivals and have their music uh, introduced to a whole new audience. And then when they got back home, the people back home had this new appreciation for their culture because people outside of their culture were now uh, examining it. Mm-hmm. And now today, uh, where there used to be like, well, the Polish bands, you know, I think they're going to die away. Now there are kids now nice. playing those. So there's, there's a, a new generation of people. Nice, a whole resurgence music. of interest. And that, that's great. Yeah, man. it's Cause, really... Because, yeah, that, like, if that doesn't happen, that music does go away and then you just can listen to it on a record somewhere and it's it's a dead a dead uh, yeah, form and, and and to use the yiddish word kvell you yeah. know what i mean like to to have seen that happen in my lifetime you know what i mean to like go from like an endangered species to thriving right you know all in a lifetime is like that's that's and to have been maybe a small part of that is just like oh that just makes me that the word is kvell it gives me nachas you know that's <laughs> okay. another, another who, great who was, didn't we have a klemzer guy on the show klemzer yeah yeah we had uh, um, had uh, uh, well we've had a couple we had um, um, Jonathan Freilich oh yeah guitar player a, yeah. and we also guy. had uh, had uh, Glenn Hartman Glenn Hartman uh, both yeah. of the, the the founders of the New Orleans klemzer all stars that's right yeah in fact I. Uh, I've actually played with Glenn. He's a great guy. In fact, I saw Glenn at the... Uh, there's a festival that I play in Poland pretty frequently hmm. called the Festival of Jewish Culture in Krakow. And uh, I actually saw Glenn playing up there one time. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, man. Well, I know you, you go all over the place and and, uh, and teach in, in d- different summertime programs, klezmer uh, camps. Yep. Um, I would be in London right now, in fact. Uh, there's a... Uh, except we're doing it online. Okay. So by the time this airs, uh, uh, I should I would have been in London uh, teaching at Klezfest London, but uh, we're, we, you know everything's virtual virtual at this point. Right. Right. Yeah, right. But there's a 
Yeah, I've taught. I've taught pretty much. Uh, Mostly, you know, uh, in Weimar, Germany, in uh, 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 in, in Poland, and in, in Warsaw, in Krakow, uh, a little town called Furt. Um, well, we have they have to bring Jews from America back over there because uh, I don't know why. I don't know what I happened know to all why. the Jews over there. It's, uh, they, there used to be so many. Um, <laughs> but uh, Renee, thank you for saying the obvious. It's yeah, just yeah, so yeah. sweet of you. Yeah, um, but but it's, it's kind of interesting, you know. Um, I had to really parse my feelings about it. Yeah. As you can imagine. I mean, it's not just going over there to teach some people. Sure. Um, I, you know, I released a record called, my second record is called Songs for the Hangman's Daughter. Mm-hmm. And that song is a little bit about parsing my feelings about doing that. Yeah. And that's what that song is about. You know, that I have to teach the hangman's daughter the family songs. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. My, my daughter was uh, part of this uh, Sarvash uh, fellowship where she went to Hungary. And uh, they would, the whole point of, of this fellowship was they would bring Jews from America and Canada over there and, and then bring uh, Jews from, from Eastern Europe there to, ha- to be exposed to people that grew up with Jewish culture because none of them did. Right. It's crazy, man. It's, it's crazy. Like having to re-import it back into, you know, the, these places that, that all this came from. You know, it's really weird. Like, a dear friend of mine who's one of the greatest klezmer clarinet players working today, and I do mean this, and he's a dear friend of mine, his name is Christian. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it's, it's, it, it, there's an interest and in an appreciation of our culture there, but it's not always by us because we're just not around there to do it. Right. We're right. kind of like they're Native Americans or something. Oh, brother. Well, well, uh, well so, so uh, getting back to your, your, uh, your, your klezmer and, and the bluegrass, and there was a story, just to, to stay on this uh, anti-Semitism uh, tip for a second. Oh, uh, I no. like the story. I, I heard that you, you were talking about uh, hanging out with some guys, some uh, Nashville guys, and you were saying, yeah. uh, you want to tell that story? You know which one I'm talking about. Well, here's the deal. So bad livers are on this tour bus, right? Mm-hmm. And... We're, you know, and I'm friendly with uh, this kind of really famous and beloved bluegrass artist who is Steve still, Martin. Well, in him too, he's a nice fellow. But this is a, a stone traditional bluegrass guy, and the guys in his in his bus are all real. You well mean he known. was stoned, or he's a stone? You are quick. <laughs> I like you, man. You are quick. <laughs> but uh, I'm sitting there, uh, bad livers are kind of winding down a little bit because my mm. buddy Danny has been working with John Hartford of all people. Okay. And so they looks like they're going to do a little project and that's going to that's not going to involve me. Mm. So I've got to like look to my future. And I was thinking that since that was going to wind down and I'm frankly a damn good bluegrass bass player and uh, everybody knows it, uh, maybe I should come up here to Nashville where bluegrass bass where they put together bands. Mm. You know, they don't put bands together in Austin, they put them together in Nashville. Right. So, I'm on the bus and I'm sitting literally right next to this guy, and I'll, you know it's close quarters on the bus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, going, well, hey boys, I had a question for you. Let me just ask. I was thinking, since bad livers are you know kind of not playing so much these days, I was thinking about moving up here and seeing about picking up work as a bass player. What do y'all think? And there was just this silence. You could hear a pin drop. 
And uh, I, yeah, right. And uh, I look over, I look over at the guy sitting next to me. I just I look over at him. And I go, really? Like 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 what's going on? And he looks me right in the face and he goes, "Well, you know, here in Nashville, we already got us a Jewish bass player." <laughs> God. And I, I just like I'm like this is literally the first time in my whole career that someone has pointed out I'm Jewish. Yeah. I mean this seriously. How could he tell? Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, it, I, was, I never made a big deal about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not like I do now. Okay. <laughs> you know? But like, I, I, it was so weird. And then I go, guys, I said, is it really like that? And he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he looks me in the eyes, and he goes, well, we hire out of the church parking lot, and I don't reckon we'll see you there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, so uh, old times there are not forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Well, now look. As time has gone on, I have grown philosophical about it, and I want to go on record to say that I love and admire this person still. Okay. Okay? And that in many respects, I think he was just telling me how the cow ate the cabbage. Yeah. It wasn't his idea. It wasn't his opinion. Yeah. That's the the facts. I just think he was being being funny, and he was giving me reportage. I I, I don't think he was trying to be mean. I think the thing he says is, Mark, I think you best stay bound down there in Texas. You know what I mean? That was that was his final thing. You know, because and, you're the Jew bass player in Texas. Yeah, right? I'd be the Jew bass player in Texas. <laughs> yeah. and and I, I. But now you're here in New Orleans, see, he and there's two Jew bass players in Texas. Now, he couldn't. Right? He couldn't understand what he had done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, yeah. He, he, and to this day, this is why I don't name him. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, right. And, and this is why I also caveat that I love and respect him. Mm. Give us Do, the initials you know I mean? at least. <laughs> I ain't gonna do it. One initial. <laughs> the last initial. When we get off the air. When we get <laughs> off the air. But uh, is that is that it just, in 1998, Nashville. Now, it may not be the case today. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's changed. It, it may not be the case in, today. Yeah, yeah. So listeners today may go, this guy's out of his mind. Well, I mean, in 1998, it may have been a completely different world. Right. A, right. a different context. But how could he know? How could he know what effect that had on me? Like I say in my stage show when I share that story, like it was like the sound of that brick going through the window. Yeah. That's what it was. It was like opening up the door and seeing that cross burnt when I was seven years old. Like, that's what it did. You know, to use a modern word, it was a trigger. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay, that's still where we are. I I thought we were beyond all this. I thought I can't trust any of you. Yeah. Like, there's not a son of gun here. I thought you were my friends, but there's everyone on this bus would turn me into the cops, every one of you. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, and that's it's, how I'm going to have to operate for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And the recognition of that uh, just damaged me because I had, such, I had such an investment 
in this community. I had such an investment in this culture. And, you know, I'd grown up in it and in and of of it. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, this is the music of my nurture, you know, that, that this is what I had been doing. But now it's like, nah, you can't do that. You know, you just, that's, that's not for you. Well, the thing is, man, you got to remember, people are the worst. <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> they really I mean, are. They really are the worst. That's why, I, you know, I, I, this is like the only time I go out is to do this show. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You know, I really don't go anywhere because I hate people so much. The no, worst. I, I, no I, I was listening to last week's show. I heard all about it. Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> no, it's true. But you like know? I said, I'm philosophical about the whole deal because how can, like, also you got to be careful about what you say to people, I've learned also, you know, because how can you know what, it's, what, what effect it's going to have on somebody? Because to this day, I'm sure they have no idea. Right. They have no idea. But, you know, whiteness... And Protestant whiteness is just, you know, the, is praxis in country music and Americana music. It mm. just, it's just core praxis. So there is no deriv- derivation from that. Yeah. So to be traditional and to hold on to your traditions, you, yeah. you know. Right, right. It's well, important to hold on to that. Well, speaking of that, did you ever cross paths with like uh, Bill Monroe or, or any of these guys? Oh, yeah, you bet. Bad Livers played a show up in Toronto. We were on tour with uh, the Butthole Surfers. Yeah, so we were on tour with the Butthole Surfers. Nice. And then we, uh, we ended our tour with the Butthole Surfers, and then we played a big folk festival with John Hartford, Peter Rowan, and us. Talk about a cool show. Okay. And then... They we looked in the paper, and it said that Bill Monroe was playing a punk rock club that night. Oh wow! So if you can believe that John Hartford, <laughs> like all of these acts, were all playing in Toronto one night. So we went down there, and we went and saw him, and he did an amazing show. It was just this incredible Bill Monroe show, and he did it in front of about forty-five punk rockers who had no idea who he was. Okay, really? Oh, yeah. In wow. fact, one of them got up and. Uh, requested foggy mountain breakdown and the grace with with which he handled that uh that uh that request was yeah was just it was like watching old old school business what man. was the lead singer for buttholes again what was his name gibby haynes gibby gibby haynes yeah, yeah. he's a good guy you know touring with those guys was a real uh breakthrough for us yeah oh sure yeah well, I know that that uh, Paul Leary, the guitar player, produced. Uh, was it the first? Uh, he produced our first single. Yeah, and I think yeah, he produced our first single. I love that guy, man. Yeah, just didn't a the bass player talent. for Zeppelin produce a Butthole Surfers record? Yes, he did. Okay. Yeah, he did. A fine steel guitar player, by the way. You know, I met him. Um, I met John <laughs> Paul Jones. Funny, right. yeah. funny story. He's a big country music fan, and. Uh, I didn't know who he was, and I'm not a Led Zeppelin fan by a country mile. And uh, he he was part of this. He had been in Austin, and he was hanging out with the Butthole Servers at this country bar that we used to go. And we used to go see Dale, uh, uh, my friend Don Walzer sing. Mm. And he had Jimmy Day playing uh, pedal steel with him. And mm. uh, music fans will note that Jimmy Day is a guy who played on the window up above. He was George Jones' steel guitar oh, player. Okay. And he was in Austin drying out. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there was a little trio, just steel guitar, guitar, and bass. And it was the most amazing country music you'd ever heard. And it was on Monday nights in the corner of this little bar. And the Butthole Surfers used to hang out there because nobody knew about it. And so the Butthole Surfers could be there and drink their beer in peace. Mm -hmm. So when John Paul Jones was in town, he would come and hang out with them on Monday nights. Well, John Paul Jones was a freak about the steel guitar. So he stayed two months extra just to come out on Monday nights and hear Jimmy Day play. So I'm just there on Monday nights anyway because it's walking distance from my house, and I'm a big fan of Jimmy Day, and I'm a friend of Don's. So and I would actually sit in and play bass sometimes. Okay. So I'm just hanging out, and they go, well, who's your friend over here, right? And they go, well, his name's Jonesy. Oh, okay, Jonesy. And he would buy all the beer all the time. You know, I'd try and buy a beer, but he would always pay for the beers. It was like, oh, some fucking big shot. I right. don't know who the fuck that is, right? But, but we found out that we both loved Alvino Ray, and we both knew a bunch about Saul Hoopi and about all these great steel guitar players and everything. So he would sit down right next to me, and we, I said, yeah, I got a 78 of that. And he goes, really? You got a 78 of that? And I would go back home, and I'd dub him off a bunch of 78s of Alvino Ray and Hawaiian steel guitar players and mm. stuff, and I'd come back next Monday, and I'd give him a cassette, and he'd go, oh, this is so fabulous. Thank you so much. You know, and we just be hanging back and just joshing back and forth and then i forget what was happening but we had this roundtable conversation about something and we were talking about something and they were they said something about uh zeppelin or something i go yeah man i don't really much care for american music uh uh, filtered through crappy englishmen or something along that or something like that i don't much care for american music when it's i can play through a bunch of pufters or something along those lines and and like the whole table just like oh that but then i said i'll tell you what zeppelin uh, zeppelin did do a one tune worth of shit i like that black dog i think that's a damn good tune And then there's silence at this table. <laughs> it's kind of like and, you on the bus, so the right. bluegrass bus. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then and everybody's like staring at Jonesy. And he just looks at me and he literally fell out of his chair laughing. <laughs> just laughing and laughing and laughing. And then he stood back up and he held his hand out and he goes, John Paul Jones, sir. Nice to make your acquaintance. And I turned beet red. I had no idea who he was. I'd been hanging out with this guy for two months. Wow. And I had no idea who he was, man. But uh, for a while there, every time he came through Austin, he would call up me and Danny Barnes and we would go hang out with him uh, when he was in town. Nice. Yeah, he's a great guy. Well, Gibby Hayes, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, it's a weird way way to put it, but, um, I, I slept, I fell asleep with Gibby Hayes. Okay. Oh, okay, sure. In, in L.A., me and Flea went and see the Buttholes play uh, downtown somewhere, and the show was over. And it was one of those shows where it, it just didn't go off right. It was like bad promotion and stuff like that, but the Buttholes played. And Flea had this convertible Cadillac, and... We go backstage and we're talking to Gabby. We're drinking heavily. We're smoking whatever we're doing. We go in the parking lot and it's Gibby, Flea, and I. And we just, and it was like a really amazing night in LA for some reason. There's no smog. <laughs> and um, just lie on the F- Flea's hood of his Cadillac and we all fall asleep. At least I fell asleep and <laughs> they fell asleep too. And we woke up like the sun was up and all that. I was like, fuck. You know, how, and Gibby's like, see ya, and he just took off. We didn't see him again. Mm-hmm. And the, la- the, the next time, I didn't, this was like 1988 or something like that, 
Next time I saw him was on a streetcar here in New Orleans in 2001. And he looked just as disheveled as he's looked that night in yeah, L.A. Even sober, he looks he looks the same. It's amazing. Yeah. He's a, he's got he's got the one he's got the one look. He's yeah, been, he's been rocking it since the first time and I met I, him. I tried. To, yeah, I said you don't remember me, but uh, I met you through Flea. We hung out one night in a parking lot in L.A. He's like, yeah, yeah. I met him in '82. Stop. When they were called <laughs> the Oregon Blood Nuggets. Oh wow! But they, they settled. They settled on uh, butthole surfing. Are they still butthole. around? No. No, what? Yeah, yeah they, they have. But Paul just put out a record, I think. Yeah, they're still. Nice. Paul's still doing nice. stuff. Yeah, that guy's so talented, man. Paul Leary. Well, uh, well, um, Mark, we're kind of winding down here. Are it's we? The downslope of the podcast. Um, but uh, I wanted to touch on your your latest venture, your your you the uh, Museum of Southern of the Southern Jewish Experience just yeah, opened man. in New Orleans. Just opened, yeah. And and you're it's pretty wild. You have a job there. What are you? Yeah, doing Yeah, I'm there? just the, I'm a I'm the admissions monkey. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, you come in and I take your money when you come in, and then I run the, I try and get money from you at the gift shop when you come out. Okay, I have to get get down there. You said uh, I, I was telling you I hadn't been there yet. Yeah. But uh, you said it's only five or six weeks old. Yeah, just, it's a brand new thing. It's uh, I I took myself off of unemployment to go down there Good and for do you. it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a really amazing place. You know, it's really we say in Jewish that there are no uh, coincidences. You know, my record was released on June first, and the museum opened up on May twenty seventh. So you know, right at about the same time, right. and I tend to feel. Both my record and the museum are kind of on the same trip. You know, they're. Uh, where is this place? It's on Howard Street. You know where, uh, where we used to have uh, Lee Circle. Um, okay. we're, we're calling that Circumcision Circle. By now. the Circle Bar. Yeah, by the. Where we used to have the Circle Bar. Used to have the Circle yes. Bar. Yes. Yeah, it's it's right it's right there in that little district, uh, walking distance from both uh, World War II Museum and the Ogden Museum. So it's kind of like oh, a, okay. It's kind of it makes a little triangle mm-hmm. there. And it tells a very fascinating and unique, complex and nuanced story about how Jews got to the South and how they how they made it and, and how they got by. And it's really, I'm. Uh, it's small but mighty, and uh, it's it's. It, uh, I worked there, and because there've been Jews new. in the South since the Sephardic folks got here, I can't remember the date, but it's like 1760 or something along those lines. It's it's right, been right. a long time, and uh, everything that's happened into the South, uh, Jewish folks have been involved in it, everything, mm-hmm. and so, uh, like I say, it's a complex and nuanced story, and not just for Jewish. Did, folks did Jews that. own slaves? Ah, uh, let's. I just want to go back to say that everything that happened here in the South, Jews were involved in. Uh, okay. Both, both uh, they are mercantile people. So, um, so every side of the coin. I mean, Jews were proud Confederates. You can be sure of that. Um, so, like I say, the uh, I really love the way that the narrative is is, is put out. It's got. Uh, uh, it's. Uh, I could just go on about it. I don't want to blather on too much about it. But uh, what I love about the job is that, uh, you know, it, it tells the story of people like myself. And what's funny is that there's two tracks on my record that relate directly to tunes on my <laughs> to to exhibits in the uh, in the in the museum, yep. especially the murder of Leo Frank. Right. Um, Talk which, about that just just briefly. Well, yeah. um, if folks aren't aware about the death of Mary Fagan 
and then the show trial of Leo Frank, which happened in 1911 in uh, Atlanta. In Atlanta, yeah, yeah. probably 1917 in Atlanta. Uh, I'm just going to tell people to Google it uh, because sure. it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's we don't have time to go into it. But uh, I, I wrote a song about the aftermath of that of that show trial, which where uh, Leo Frank was lynched, mm-hmm. and. Uh, for many years, he was referred to as the only "quote unquote" white man lynched in the South. But there's nothing could be further than the truth. He was a Jewish person, and th- this is the reason why he was lynched. And uh, I outline that this is one of the exhibits in the in the museum, which outlines the story. And I outline the story in my song, which is on the record. Yes, yes. And terrific record, man. Uh, uh, Mark Rubin, Jew of Oklahoma. The triumph of assimilation, and and again we 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 discussed earlier, you know the the uh, the the parallel with the triumph of will, and uh, and uh, as you you have it all wrapped up there, it's a very kinky little title, so we like that. Well, you know, if if I've got anything that I'd like folks to do, is that I, I like I tend to have. I tend to want folks to think a little bit. Maybe stop for a second, think a little bit. My music tends to be a little challenging, and it's uneasy listening at sometimes. But hope, hopefully, there's enough humor and and hopefully there's enough lightheartedness on it. I don't really want to bum it, bum folks out all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's it's a it's it's a great record, man. I really really enjoyed it. Let me ask you a question, man. Manny. Before we sign off, let's here. do it, man. Um, would you rather live in a world? Where nobody cleans up after their dog, or mm. everybody, including you, has to pick up dog crap with their bare hands. Man, I'm gonna have to. Okay, give me a second. See, I'm a dog owner, right? Yeah. I'm a dog owner, right? Okay, so everybody, including me, has to pick up crap with our own hands. Yes. Yeah. Either you live in a world where no one picks up after their dog. Okay. Are everyone, including you, has to pick up after their dogs? These are both with terrible their ba- choices. Bad, with their bare okay. hands. I'm going to say that this is uh, a terrible, terrible choice. However, I'm going to go with the former, and I'm going to explain why. I'm going to go with the former because dog poop can be a fertilizer, and it can, in fact, put nutrients back into the soil. And as long as you jump around it and don't step on it, I think that there's not enough dog owners here to cause enough problems. And I'm going to say this because I, at the museum that I work at, there's a neutral ground, and there are dog owners everywhere, and they let their dogs crap out there all day long. And I walk around. They wouldn't let. They 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 wouldn't crap if they let people just park there (laughs) 24/7. Look, I'm. Hey, look, I want you to go back. And listen to this podcast, right? I'll probably and be in a year from now. No, I want you to go back and listen to it because you have brought up so many points to run on, Manny. You have brought up so many points that you'll be able to run on. You've got you've got a whole plank. I think you have some good issues that you could that you brought you've up brought tonight so that you could use great, in the mayor, mayor's you've race. You've got Manny. a plank. Uh, I won't remember any of this tomorrow. Right, right. Well, that's why we have a document. <laughs> well, we got a document. <laughs> well, and Mark, I want to. You, you gave us the party favors of, of your record and a sticker. Oh and, yeah, and the, uh, the the gold uh, Jewish star, the Star of David, uh, at, uh, the keychain, the keychain. Yeah. And so, I want to present Aww. you with some troubled men. Podcast stickers. Oh, that goes on the case. Yeah. Right on, right on. 
Well, uh, yeah, well, Mark, done. thank you so much for coming on the uh, the podcast. And uh, and uh, Manny, you know, as always in the Trouble Nation, we'd like to say uh, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. Listen close to what I say. There'll come a time. There'll be a day. And though it seems so far away, I promise that we'll make them. Revenge for the suffering and pain Revenge for those who still remain Oh, that day will come along When we right each every wrong There'll be revenge For the widows, orphans, it must suffice For the millions, blood and sacrificed our prophets cry out for us to awake For retribution so shall we take We'll have revenge For the suffering and pain Revenge for those who still remain Oh, that day will come along When we right each every wrong There'll be It's coming here like Noah's dove A message of kindness, peace, and love That's our revenge For the suffering and pain Revenge For those who still remain Oh, that day will come along